Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way podcast. I've had a lifelong fascination with stories, especially the stories of people. I read endless uh, biographies when I was a, a little kid, even six or seven years old, reading, you know, uh, memoirs and biographies, the books that were, you know, three inches thick. And so it was, um, it was one of those things where you, your, your passion meets the kind of people you want to work with. And such is the case with my guest today, Mike O'Krent. Mike is a, uh, a former client of Root and Rivers um, and like has happened a few times, the clients become friends and Mike and I have become very close friends. And Mike is the founder of Life Stories Alive. And that is a, a, a company that specializes in family documentaries, usually for older folks in the family. And uh, Mike is a master storyteller, in addition to being a, an amazing documentarian. So welcome, Mike. Thank you. It's good to be here. So what was the Spielberg project um, that got you started? I know that's, you know, that's always fascinating, but tell the, tell the listeners a little bit about that project. Sure. I was very fortunate to have been trained by the best of the best. In the 1990s, I interviewed Holocaust survivors for Steven Spielberg's Survivors of the Shoah Visual History Foundation. It's now the USC Shoah Foundation, and Shoah means Holocaust in Hebrew. And um, when Spielberg was filming Schindler's List in Poland, survivors came up to him and asked him, I've got a story I want to tell you. And so in his genius, he started this foundation to capture 50,000 stories. And we interviewed 50, around 53,000 in 39 languages all over the world. And I was, again, fortunate to have been trained to do that. And it just kind of... It's one of those things that you do that you don't know how it's going to affect you, but it ended up changing my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I love that. Those moments where, you know, you have your career and then you have your calling and then you get to blend the two, you know, right? That's, not a lot of people get to do that. Um, so that's very cool. Well, that's the topic today. The topic today is around having a compelling life story. Um, and, the, the first question I wanted to throw out for us to answer is what are the components of a compelling life story? I think what are, when you see, when you, when you get to a, maybe a project, a, you know, prospect, you, know, you get an inquiry and you're like, wow, I really want to tell this person's story. What are some of the common components of a, of a compelling life story? It's a very good question because what is compelling to one might not be compelling to another. So part of the work that I do is I try to find out, um, what is compelling to the family who is hiring me to interview this person? Typically, not always, but typically the client, the one who pays for this is the one, is the child or the grandchild of the people that I'm interviewing, but sometimes it's the person. So regardless of who that is, I try to find out what they're looking for and an end result. So like Stephen Covey said, you begin with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. And I take that and then I determine what is a compelling story? Now, most of the Spielberg's organization taught us that um, the mind will remember, especially with an older individual, if you ask questions in chronologic order. So we still do that, but sometimes wonderful pearls will come out while they're telling the story. And I was trained to dive a little bit deeper with those. And I think those end up being the compelling stories. Because at the beginning, I try to guess what the compelling story is going to be. But in the components of that, I think is just asking. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the 
the, the clients that I have will tell me, you know, I've known this person all my life. I never heard some of those stories. And my thought is you never asked, number one. Yeah. <laughs> and number yeah. two, the person sometimes will not want to tell some of those stories, especially if they involve uh, pain and trauma. Right. Yeah. Well, as a story aficionado, aficionado to myself, um, I, I think that what I've noticed is maybe I'll say there's three things and that you don't need to have all three, even though that makes it an even more compelling story. But one is similar to the, um, the Holocaust survivors or other people that you've uh, interviewed or that we know that overcome, overcame uh, a, a traumatic event or a, or a series of traumatic events. Um, they, um, they escaped from, or they survived something traumatic. Um, and I always, I always say like, if you haven't had some suffering of some sort, you're missing out, you know, you're missing out because that's how you find yourself. You know, that'll, I think it was a John Wooden, the former basketball coach UCLA said, you know, adversity doesn't reveal character or doesn't create character it reveals it. And you find parts of yourself that, um, and this is why I think you meet people that are survivors of something, but I think in particular of um, ad uh, former addicts or people in recovery, they have a earthiness about them because they've seen hell and come back out of it. Um, and I think that's one. I think another one is some sort of um, leaving it all behind, an exodus, if you will. Um, you know, or maybe that, that was, they had, the, they had the cushy opportunity that, you know, their dad was a lawyer, they're going to be a lawyer. And, you know, they had privilege and they decided to be, you know, join the military or travel the world or, you know, um, start a nonprofit or something that was, that was a leaving of their home, the comfort of home, leaving the womb um, of that. And um, I, I've seen that story many, many times. And then I, I think the third one is the, the origin story of the, of the soul. You know, we're 3D creatures. And most people can tell the story of their body, where their body's been, and maybe their mind. But few people tell the story of the soul, like, how, how, you know, what they discovered, you know, the epiphanies they have, the wisdom that they contain. And that's an ancient thing. Indigenous people, that was a natural thing, the telling of stories related to the preserving of wisdom. Um, stories of the soul, and we don't we don't really do that anymore um, as a, as a as a cultural practice. And for your listeners, what you mentioned is just it's it's, it's brilliant because one of one of the things that they might not know if if they're thinking of their parent or or another loved one, um, ah that that story is not compelling. Well, it might not be because you haven't. Dove deep, dived deeper into it, if that's yeah. correct English. You know, if you haven't asked the right questions to to clarify it, then it might be compelling. So never assume that something is not compelling. And I have to say this, Justin. One of the reasons that I really enjoy our friendship is because I learned so much from you. I've never heard the words "handsome suffering." You use the words "handsome suffering." If somebody is doing a handsome suffering, it's not. And I love that expression. You know. Thank you. Well. Marketing ruins has ruined language, and so I'm, <laughs> uh, uh, MAGA Christians have ruined Jesus, and uh, marketers have ruined language. So I'm trying to give, bring both of those back. <laughs> nice, so, thank you. Uh, awesome. So, uh, so the the part of this is we hear this a lot, especially with like older entrepreneurs or founders, which is you know the legacy. I want to leave a legacy. Um, I sometimes think it's 
a esoteric theory that's alliterative. That's why they say it, <laughs> you know, leave a legacy. Um, but then I think of, I remember a while ago, I, I, I still read, I look on Wikipedia every day to see who died. It's always interesting to me. And I, I used sure. to, when I got a newspaper, I used to read the obituaries or, you know, I've been to way more funerals than weddings. And they would read the obituary and it was like, you know, Bob was a loved golf or Susan loved to cross stitch. And I was like, God damn, if you're, if you're alive, if your legacy is your, is your hobbies, you know, right. and I mean, no offense to Bob and Susan, but that's a waste of time. Uh, it's made me sad. So I, I devoured when I first realized this in my mid twenties, I, I my legacy will not be my hobbies. That's for damn sure. So what is, what is your definition of a legacy? It's an overused uh, word. What does it mean to you, Mike, the documentarian? Yeah. You asked this question and recently I looked up legacy and it's, it's what you hand down. Usually people think of material possessions as the legacy that you hand down. But I think my answer to that question, the definition of legacy is found in one of the last questions that I asked somebody when I'm interviewing for them life story. Um, and what that question is, how do you want to be remembered? Yeah. And their answer, if you dive deeper into their answer too, you will find out what they feel is important to their life and their legacy mm -hmm. on how they want to be remembered. Um, and th then you can go in, in, into different directions with how they want to be remembered. But I, I love that question because it, first of all, I never know what the answer is going to be because that's something that, as you mentioned, is deep down in their soul. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that's the answer to, to, to legacy yeah. because I, I was sharing with somebody not long ago, another question that I asked toward the end, if, after they spent hours telling me their chronologic life story. What's the most important thing in life is what I ask. It's, it's never money. It's mm -hmm. never about the things that people stress about. Mm -hmm. It's usually around one of four topics. It's either health, God, or spirituality, family, or love. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And that's stripping away too um, of, of that. And I think I love that. Like, how do you want to be remembered? And that kind of goes to like two markers for me is one is I've sometimes thought about this is like, I don't want people to have to lie about me at my funeral or memorial. Mm. You know, we've been to those memorials where it's like, I think of my, uh, somebody that's, it's my former partner's now deceased grandmother's ex-husband <laughs> and he was right. an asshole and, right, exactly. funeral. And it was like, you know, you, you just struggling to come up with something positive to say. And, and again, I was like, oh, man, I'm not, do I don't want, also, I don't want to hire pallbearers too, you know, where you have to go actually pay people to be the pallbearer because nobody likes you. <laughs> that would be tragic. Hire pallbearers, my God. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but there's, there's a term that I, I don't know, maybe I heard it from you or I don't know where I picked it up of the second death. And I think legacy is the length of the second death. And the second death, there's the, your first death is when you die. And the second death is when the memory of you dies, the record right. of you dies. Now with the internet and much, you know, and digital photography and everything, you know, people are going to live, uh, you know, a lot longer than they used to because just the way we document things. But you think of like the real legacy of people that as long as there's humans, they're going to be legends. They're gonna, that the name will live forever as far as, you know, to, as long as there are humans. And 
you know, I don't think we have to set out to do that, but it, it, these very much intersect with what do you want to be known for? And then how, and my follow-up to that would be, how long do you want your, sec, how far after your first death do you want your second death to be? And at that point, you better get to work, man. I mean, if you, mm -hmm. want, if you want a legacy, if you want a lasting legacy or you want to, and you want to be remembered for certain things, A, it better match your behavior um, because people, people don't remember hypocrites for very long. Uh, right. You put a hypocrite in the ground, they stop talking about you about on the way to the, you know, Cracker Barrel <laughs> after the funeral. Uh, and then the second, the second part of that too, is you, um, you have a, um, you, you have to, have, you have to take risk to have a legacy. You know, legacy isn't handcrafted in a suburb. You have to go actually do shit to, if you really want to have a legacy. So and I'm wondering what the answer would be if you were to add something to the end of your question. What is the definition of a legacy to those who matter most in your life? Mm. And then the second question is, what is the definition of legacy to everybody else? Mm. That's a good, that's a good, is it different? You know, on the... it's, in many cases, it's different, especially to the successful business persons that I've yeah. interviewed. You yeah. know, the successful person, the people around them, the people who they really love, they want their legacy to be something, but to the founder of this multinational organization that might be something else and yeah. by the way the answer to that first one might be none of the business none of their business to the rest of the people right that's right yeah and they may see a very different side of that person you know you think of take super famous people that have you know a good relationship with their kids they know them as dad or mom they don't know them as you know somebody super famous um that's a really good addition to to that question Sure. Um, so whose story is the last question to kick around whose story is someone, you know, that you wish more people knew. You're asking me personally, whose story in, in my life? Yeah. Someone, you know, or have met and you, you know, another way to back into this for you, because you are a, a filmmaker is, you know, you get a, an investor that with a very fat budget and they say, make a documentary of a person of your choosing and we're going to make it you know the next big netflix documentary who would who would you choose obviously somebody who's still alive because i can think of a lot of dead people um mm -hmm. that i would like to have known more about um well, I, I don't know if you they don't have to be alive i think you could go back and do you know there's lots of documentaries of you know musicians that have passed away or artists and they go back and interview yeah you know, family and friends. And so there's one famous person that I'd always love to interview because I, I admire him. And I think he's, he's a mensch and that is Steven Spielberg. Mm. Um, you know, a lot has been written and, and done about Steven Spielberg, but I want to ask the questions that nobody asks, you know, uh, about the root of what he's all about, because, um, you know, people know the work that he does, but what's inside of him that keeps him going because you know he works his ass off mm -hmm. um but he's so good at it and um the other person who's no longer around that i did her life story is my mom mm. thank god i did her life story because now my grandchildren will one day know her mm -hmm. in a way that they never would have had i not done her life story but now that i've done it once i want to go i wish i could go back and ask more questions and more clarifying questions.
Like what? Um, you don't mind me putting you on the spot. What would you want to ask that you didn't ask the first time? I didn't ask her um, about uh, enough about being a grandma. And the reason I say that is because now that I'm a grandfather, um, it's a it's a different world. In fact, I was at an, an, an event last night and a friend of mine who's also a grandparent, we were talking about family and, and mm -hmm. I told her about my, my grandchildren. And she says, you know what? I heard this. We don't know that we have an empty place in our heart until we have grandchildren and they fill that place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, it's, I find it to be true. So I would go back and ask mom about that and, and other things throughout her life story that I would want to yeah. clarify more. Yeah, it's an interesting mic. Um, I remember but, when, go ahead. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I, you know, when you asked that question, I thought at first you meant to other people. And um, I would say for anybody listening, the answer to that should be the one that's they're closest to, mm. um, either yeah. alive or deceased. Yeah. Yeah. The one that, you know, the one that you're going to miss the most, you know, exactly. you know, that's the, you got to write that shit down, you know, or capture it. So, um, yeah, you, you know, I'm a grandfather, five return two and baby girl, um, name has not been disclosed. Uh, she's due to arrive at the end of November, early December. And, you know, I'm a young grandfather. I'm, I was, I turned 52 yesterday. Um, and, uh, but that that quote, that thing that the person told you is so true. I remember thinking when, you know, when Logan and Sarah got pregnant and told told us, told at the time, Lena and I, um, we were still together then, um, you know, there was a, there was great joy, but there was also like, man, this means I'm old. And there was just so much I hadn't done yet. There was so yeah. much I hadn't done yet. And I was like, I'd, and then people started calling me grandpa. How you doing, Grandpa? And I was like, man, I am not ready for that. <laughs> and, and so there was a little bit of, I wouldn't call it resentment, but I would say like uneasiness with the idea. And then, you know, he was born in the height of COVID. And so we didn't get to see him for several days after, you know, because multiple COVID tests and, you know, all of that. And I remember, and, and thankfully, Lena shot video of this. So I have it preserved of walking into their place and I don't, I think Sarah or Logan, maybe Lena handed me Fiverr and he looked, he looked me right in the eyes. Oh. And I, 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 you know, I was a few days, a few weeks away from my 50th birthday, um, which I think you were at that party. And um, I remember thinking in that moment, this is about the next 50 years. This isn't the end of something. This is a beginning. And wow. so many things happened out of that moment so many things you know I, I, Lena and I separated and I moved into my own place for the first time I had this dark night of the soul I met Virginia a few months later oh my god you know from as part of that story that mindset of being young I'm young still and I and I, I've been uh, much more diligent about working out because I'm building for the future I want to be a strong old man you yeah, know I want to be one of those old dudes that are you know in their 80s and they're like yeah look at that guy he's ripped so if I'm going to be a strong old man I got to I got to get this 52 year old carcass in shape. So, well, uh, whose story do you wish you, more people knew? Yeah. Um, I would say my grandmother, Maxine Foster. Um, she was a remarkable woman and really the only person as a child that showed me kindness. I feel like she's the mm -hmm. only person that saw me 
um, as I was. And she was, she reminds me of, of the Shakespeare quote, although she's small, she is fierce. I think that's, I don't know if that's a paraphrase, but she was tiny. She was like four foot 11, um, a double, a double breast cancer survivor, um, you know, a city girl that became a ranch wife, um, uh, you know, lived through the depression, um, lived mm -hmm. through with her brothers fighting in World War II. My grandfather had an exemption because he was a sheep rancher. Um, he didn't go to war, but he raised sheep for the military. But still, her lots of friends and family. So World War II, and you know, then she saw, she saw a lot of history, and she had she had such a pure heart, but she wasn't passive, and she she was a feminist. She wouldn't use that title, of course, maybe for that era, but she was a feminist, and she did not tolerate any sort of patriarchal bullshit at the ranch related to gender. You know, sort of, and that's common in ranching. To, there's not a lot of misogyny in ranching because you know shit's got to get done and. And it's a meritocracy, not a patriarchy. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But she was just different, and um, she's different. She's a different person, a, a, an artist. I have a painting of hers hanging in my office, um, and you know, very much a polymath. You know, she was into a lot of different things. She was had her side business, and anyway, I could go on and on about her. And she's she's amazing. I carry her and my grandfather, his my memory of him, for, you know, with me every day. So. I just wish, man, it would have been awesome to know you and hire you to shoot her stuff. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you. You know, it, it leads to a question and you pointed out something that I just thought of. A lot of the people that I've, and I've interviewed hundreds of people for their life stories, a lot of them will say one of their grandparents and especially the grandmother knew me more than anybody else and treated me like I should be treated. Yeah. Why do you think that skips a generation? I, you know, I think that's true when the, maybe the grandmother is not a perpetuator of trauma. Ah. If the grandmother is a perpetuator of trauma and she passed that on to her son or daughter, and now they, and now you get it, you get the wrath of that, you know, of, of the you know, violence or uh, abuse or whatever. And um, so, you know, uh, I, my grandmother, she had, you know, tough experiences in life, but I don't believe she was like, you know, she was not an abuse survivor, a trauma survivor. Mm -hmm. And so, and she was also a person of faith, you know, she was a, she was a, she was a kind hearted, like, you know, like a Christian, a Methodist, you know, and Methodists mm -hmm. are pretty cool people. And I think that was a factor too, is like, what is their relationship with spirituality? If they're super religious, they're, they're not going to see you as you are. All they're going to see is a future sinner, you know, or, or you're not good enough. Or if they're a nihilist, you know, they're, they're, they become like bitterly atheistic. They're going to pass on that kind of resentment about the world to you as well. So I think those are the factors. I don't, and yeah. I think grandmother naturally in the, in the, in, you know, at, at, in the mammalian structure and that, you know, at some point we were all indigenous, um, that in, in the indigenous culture, the grandmother's role is sort of the nurturer of the soul. I think that's the natural role. And then shitty things happen and that gets twisted or lost. But the ones that keep it and keep that role, they're sacred. They're, they're almost like mystics in the way that they, they stay with you, you know? I, I agree. And I think another reason is that the grandparent can look at a child without the pressures that a parent looks at a child. You know, the, the parent has to think, um, you know, how am I gonna raise this kid? Is this kid doing right or wrong? And, 
and all of these other pressures day in and day out where the grandparent can say, I just want to know this kid more and love this kid more. I think a healthy grandparent does that. A healthy, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, that's a um, good caveat. Yes, a healthy grandparent. Yeah, I mean, you see somebody that they still treat their 30-year-olds, you know, kids as kids, and then they treat their grandchildren as extensions of those, like the basically <laughs> little brothers and sisters of the parents, you know? And right. The way yeah. I play, you know, I, you know Logan and Sarah are, I'm not the I'm not a parent, I'm, I'm the grandparent. I get to do that. I get yeah. to do what you said, but you do see a lot of that like helicopter grandparenting um, yeah. and uh, sort of intrusiveness out there. I'll, uh, well. I'll never forget, you reminded me and I was laughing. <clears throat> I interviewed this one guy and we always talk about paternal grandparents and maternal grandparents. And I said, did you ever know your maternal grandparents? He says, well, my grandfather died before I was born, but oh yeah, I knew my maternal grandmother. I said, what was she like? And he says, oh, she was a bitch. <laughs> she was a hateful woman. We hated to go to her house and we yeah. had to go to her house and we, she stunk and you know, she was just awful. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you know, so not all grandparents are loving, right? Yeah, legacy. Yeah, my, I, my, I, I, sounds very similar to my maternal grandmother. Um, very different uh, person and very different relationship. Um, well, you know, I hope that people say nice things about us at our memorials. I, I you know, I, I've instructed and I, that I want my memorial to be a roast. So if you're going to say something, I want you to roast me. And I want people nice. to um, I'll be preparing already. Not that you, right. I want you to go anytime soon, understand. <laughs> well, you never know. You never know really never know. So, well, this was really great as I expected it to be. And um, I'll put links to your website. And I will say to the listeners, having seen a lot of Mike's work and helped him with his brand uh, over the years, if you have an older person in your circle and your family or an old mentor or something, please reach out to Mike and it's worth it. It's worth the investment. I promise you. So thank you, Mike. Thank you, Justin, very much. I enjoyed this.